Chapter Twenty Two of the Night Horseman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Night Horseman by Max Brand. Chapter Twenty Two. Patience. There is one patience greater than the endurance of the cat at the hole of the mouse, or the wolf, which waits for the moose to drop, and that is the patience of the thinking man. The measure of the Hindu's moveless contemplation of Nirvana is not in hours, but in weeks or even in months. Randall Byron sat at his sentinel post, with his hands folded, and his grave eyes steadily fixed before him. And for hour after hour he did not move, though the wind rose now and again and whistled through the upper chambers or mourned down the empty halls. Randall Byron did not stir. So much as an eyelash in observance, two things held him fascinated. One was the girl who had passed up yonder stairs so wearily, without a single backward glance at him. The other was the silent battle which went on in the adjoining room. Now and then his imagination wandered away to secondary pictures. He would see Barry meeting Buck Daniels at last and striking him down as remorselessly as the hound strikes the hare. Or he would see him riding back towards Elkhead, and catch a bright, sad vision of Kate Cumberland waving a careless adieu to him, and then hear her singing carelessly as she turned away. Such pictures as these, however, came up but rarely in the mind of Byron. Mostly, he thought of the stranger leaning over the body of old Joe Cumberland, reviving him, storing him with electric energy. Paying back, as it were, some ancient debt, and he thought of the girl as she had turned at the landing place of the stairs, her head fallen, and he thought of her lying in her bed with her arm under the mass of bright hair, trying to sleep, very tired, but remorselessly held awake by that same power which was bringing Joe Cumberland back from the verge of death. It was all impossible. This thing could not be. It was really as bad as the yarn of the Frankenstein monster. He considered how it would seem in print, backed by his most solemn asseverations, and then he saw the faces of the men who associated with him—pale, thoughtful faces, striving to conceal their smiles and their contempt. But always he came back, like the desperate hare doubling on his course, upon the picture of Kate Cumberland there. At the turning of the stairs, and that bent, bright head, which confessed defeat, the man had forgotten her. It made Byron open his eyes in incredulity, even to imagine such a thing. The man had forgotten her. She was no more to him than some withered hag he might ride past on the road. His ear, subconsciously attentive to everything around him, caught a faint sound from the next room. It was a regular noise. It had the rhythm of a quick footfall, but in its nature it was more like the sound of a heavily beating pulse. Randall Byron sat up in his chair. A faint creaking attested that it was indeed a footfall traversing the room to and fro steadily. The stranger then no longer leaned over the couch of the old cattleman. He was walking up and down the floor with that characteristic, softly padding step. Of what did he think as he walked? It carried Byron automatically out into the darkest night, with the wind in his face and the rhythm of a long striding horse, 
carrying him on to a destination unknown. Here he heard a soft scratching repeated at the door. When it came again, he rose and opened the door. At once, the tall, shaggy dog slipped through the opening and glided past him. It startled Byron oddly to see the animal stealing away, as if Barry himself had been leaving. He called to the beast, but he was met by a silent bearing of white fangs that stopped him in his tracks. The great dog was gone without a sound, and Byron closed the door again without casting a look inside. He was stupidly, foolishly afraid to look within. After that, the silence had a more vital meaning. No pictures crowded his brain. He was simply keyed to a high point of expectancy. And therefore, when the door was opened silently, he sprang up as if in acknowledgment of an alarm and faced Barry. The latter closed the door behind him and glided after the big dog. He had almost crossed the big room when Byron was able to speak. Mr. Barry, he called. The man hesitated. Mr. Barry, he repeated. And Dan Barry turned. It was something like the act of the wolf the moment before, a swift moment, a flash of the eyes, and something like defiance. Mr. Barry, are you leaving us? I'm going outside. Are you coming back? I don't know. A great joy swelled in the throat of Dr. Byron. He felt like shouting in triumph. Yet he remembered once more how the girl had gone up the stairs wearily with fallen head. He decided that he would do what he could to keep the stranger with them. And though Randall Bryan lived to be a hundred, he would never do a finer thing than what he attempted then. He stepped across the room and stood before Barry, blocking the way. Sir, he said gravely, if you go now, you will work a great sorrow in this house. A glint of anger rose in the eyes of Barry. Joe Cumberland is sleeping sound, he answered. He'll be a pile rested when he wakes up. He don't need me no more. He's not the only one who needs you, said Byron. His daughter has been waiting impatiently for your coming, sir. The sharp glance of Barry wavered away. I'd kind of like to stay, he murmured, but I got to go. A dull voice called from the next room. It's Joe Cumberland, said Byron. You see, he is not sleeping. The brow of Barry clouded, and he turned gloomily back. Maybe I'd better stay, he agreed. Yet before he made a step, Byron heard a faraway honking of the wild geese, that musical discord carrying for uncounted miles through the windy air. The sound worked like magic on Barry. He whirled back. I got to go, he repeated. And yet Byron blocked the way. It required more courage to do that than to do anything he had ever attempted in his life. The sweat poured out from under his armpits as the stranger stepped near. The blood rushed from his face as he stared into the eyes of Barry, eyes which now held an uncanny glimmer of yellow light. Sir, said Byron huskily, you must not go. Listen. Old Cumberland is calling to you again. Does that mean nothing? If you have some errand out in the night, let me go for you. Partner, said the soft voice of Barry, stand aside. I got no time. I'm wanted. 
Every muscle of Randall Byron's body was set to repulse the stranger in any effort to pass through that door, and yet, mysteriously, against his will, he found himself standing to one side and saw the other slip through the open door. "'Dan, are you there?' called a louder voice from the room beyond. There was no help for it. He himself must go back and face Joe Cumberland, with a lie, no doubt. He would say that Dan had stepped out for a moment and would be back again. That might put Cumberland safely to sleep. In the morning, to be sure, he would find out the deception, but let every day bury its dead. Here was enough trouble for one night. He went slowly, but steadily enough, towards the door of what had now become a fatal room to the doctor. In that room he had seen his dearest doctrines cremated. Out of that room he had come bearing the ashes of his hopes in his hands. Now he must go back once more to try to fill with science a gap which science could never take cognizance. He lingered another instant with his hand on the door. Then he cast it wide bravely enough and stepped in. Joe Cumberland was sitting up on the edge of his couch. There was color in the old man's face. It almost seemed to the incredulous eyes of Byron that the face was filled out a trifle. Certainly the fire of the old cattleman's glance was less unearthly. "'Where's Dan?' he called. "'Where'd he go?' It was no longer the deep, controlled voice of the Stoic. It was the almost whining complaint of vital weakness." "'Is there anything I can do for you?' parried Byron. "'Anything you need or wish?' "'Him,' answered the old man explosively. "'Damn it! I need Dan. Where is he? "'He was here. I felt him here while I was sleeping. "'Where is he?' "'He has stepped out for an instant,' answered Byron smoothly. "'He will be back shortly.' "'He has stepped out?' echoed the old man slowly. "'Then he rose to the full of his gaunt height. "'His white hair,' His triangle of beard and pointed mustache gave him a detached, a medieval significance, a portrait by Van Dyke had stepped from its frame. "'Doc, you're lying to me. Where has he gone?' A sudden, almost hysterical burst of emotion swept Dr. Byron. "'Gone to heaven or hell,' he cried with startling violence. "'Gone to follow the wind and the wild geese, God knows where.' Like a period to his sentence, a gun barked outside. There was a howl of demonic pain and rage, and then a scream that would tingle in the ear of Dr. Randall Byron till his dying day. End of chapter 22